are beginning a new little section here, verses 12 through 14. We'll have a word of prayer that the Lord will teach us, and then we'll read 12 through 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Father, you are our King. And uh, Father, I pray that it is our hearts, that in all we do, we do to honor you. And Father, as we move into your holy scripture, and Father, uh, I pray that we hear the heart of this man, Paul, and yet, Father, the power of your spirit. Father, when I uh, you know, look at what you have given us in your holy book, Father, I pray we rejoice and we are overwhelmed with gratitude that we would hunger and we would thirst for it. And that, Father, we'd be overwhelmed by the amazing things that you do. And I praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 12, chapter 1, 2 Corinthians. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud as you are ours also in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This uh, text is one of those that got a hold of me. Uh, I, If you look at your outline there, you'll see that I am dealing with the soul's warning system. Uh, and it is, a, it is a view into the Apostle Paul's conscience. But as I was looking at this in light of where we are today on the planet Earth, in the nation of the United States of America, in the state of Colorado, in the town of Castle Rock, uh, it became very well, very clear to me, and I think you'll see it too, that when I read the little phrase there in verse 12, the testimony of our conscience... It's really an amazing understanding. And those of you who have been with me for a while realize that every time I move into a, a new area, a new thinking, I usually take and kind of give an introduction and it's sort of, this is going to be encompassed in the next few weeks of study. Uh, when I looked at this testimony of our conscience that Paul spoke of, I realized it was going to take me two weeks to get through that word, conscience. I know. At least it's not like the word I. I mean, at least you're getting a word that is bigger. Okay, it's almost... Are you ready for this? It's almost like he's going to do a topical study. Almost. Put it this way. It's probably as close as you're going to get me to get a topical study. Okay? Um, and the, the reason is, is because I am convinced that in the body of Christ today and in our society today, uh, we don't understand what our conscience is. 
And we definitely don't understand how it functions. Okay? And yet, uh, the simplicity would be the simple statement I have as the title of your outline. It's the soul's warning system. Um, I, I was thinking about this, and it, it came to mind. Uh, in 1984, there's a Avianca airline uh, crashed in Spain. Uh, they couldn't figure out what had happened. There was no radio communications that said that we were having engine problems or we were low on fuel or there was any kind of mechanical problems. But for some reason, this airliner just full tilt boogie plowed right into the side of a mountain. Now, it was a little bit cloudy, overcast, but it wasn't raining. It wasn't snowing. Weather didn't play anything into it other than, you know, visibility was a little tough which is not hard for a commercial airliner. And they began investigating this to try to find out what had happened. Of course, they go after the black box. And they found the black box. And in the black box is communications of the pilots who are flying the airplane um, in the cockpit and what they were discussing and what was going on in the cockpit uh, at the time of the crash. Um, there was a very scary discovery found in the uh, recordings of the cockpit. Moments before impact, just a few minutes before impact, a synthesized voice that was reading the analog of the radar, the altimeters, jet speed, and everything else, the synthesized voice began stating, pull up. Pull up, pull up. And the pilot's response, and I quote, was, shut up, gringo, and he turned it off. Moments after he turned off the warning, the plane plowed into the side of a mountain. Okay? Um, That's what's going on in your society and my society right now. We are all in danger, and we are doing our best to silence our conscience. Not only are we doing our best to silence our conscience, we are actually creating industries that will help you silence your conscience. Um, that is a parable of that plane crash is a parable of the modern people today, the way we treat warnings of our conscience. And yet the Apostle Paul in this text says we have the testimony of our conscience. See, the conscience is there by God's design in all of mankind. Um. If, if you really wanted to take it, you could literally say it's built into the DNA of every human being. I don't care who you are. I don't care whether you're saved. I don't care whether you're lost. You all, every human being has a conscience. And that conscience is a warning system. It's a warning system. And yet the wisdom of our age, as the wisdom in Corinth says that guilt feelings, feeling guilty about something, is an error. Um, 
If you spend too much time feeling guilty, it will be harmful to you. And you need to figure out how to turn that off. Okay. My question, is that good advice? So what I want to spend this Lord's Day and next week on is what is the conscience and how does it operate? I want to answer those two questions because until you answer those two questions, the testimony of our conscience there in verse 12 is what? It's whatever you want it to be. See, God has created a warning system in humanity. Um, and how we are to respond in it, and how do I respond to it, and what role does it play? And, and I hope that I can get this covered in two weeks. Um, and in light of Christianity as a Christian, what does my conscience mean? And how do I respond to it? Listen, I have watched people today in, in just my lifespan have literally taken the conscience and it has now become a defect or, or, or you have a disorder. Okay. And once we get that fixed, then your conscience won't bother you again. When I watch people fall into drug abuse, um, whether it's narcotics or whether it's alcohol or, 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 or any of these things that master people, I know emphatically what's going on. I'm not a doctor and I don't play one and I didn't sleep at the Holiday Inn. All right? I know that they are trying to smother their conscience. And I don't, we can, we use all kinds of crazy ways to do it, but we're trying to shut off, pull up, pull up, pull up. And yet I look at our conscience and it's a tremendous gift from God. It's an automatic warning system and it's telling us to pull up before you crash and burn. God designed the conscience into the very fiber, the very fabric of the human soul. If you still, if you think about your conscience, exactly where can you go to get away from it? It's annoying little bugger. It just can't seem to shake it. And the conscience is the ability to sense your own heart. Please let me, I, I want you to understand that because I'm not talking about saved people alone. I'm talking about humanity. Humanity has the ability to sense its own heart. And, and if, if there is a violation there, if there is to use the biblical term, sin there. And if there's something wrong, the conscience likes to give you a little bit of guilt, a little bit of shame, some embarrassment, some anxiety, or the robbing of your peace. You don't have contentment 
Because your conscience is sitting there going, pull up, pull up, pull up. It's a great gift from God if you think about it. It's Anybody here like pain? Do you understand that pain, physical pain, is a gift from God? Did you know that? It tells you that to, 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 to steal the line, Houston, you have a problem. And if you don't deal with this problem, it could end up killing you. That's one of the horrors of leprosy. Leprosy is a neurological disease and the nerves quit functioning. And you literally, you've heard some of the stories that parts fall off and all the rest of it. That's not true. Okay, but what does happen is you can literally wear parts off and it not hurt. Uh, I remember reading a story about a guy who literally wore off his two small toes because his shoes were too small and he didn't know it. And it literally rubbed the toes off and he didn't know it. Okay, I remember reading about a guy who had cut his foot on a, a piece of shell on the beach and nearly bled to death and never knew he was even bleeding because the leprosy had killed the nerves. See, the conscience does that, except it does it in the soul. Um, you know, I, I read some things here that Linsky gets heady. He's, whoa, dude, what's up? Um, and he, sp- he spoke this phrase, the conscience is the soul reflecting on itself. I thought, that's, that's a fascinating statement. Uh, and, and if I look at the original language, both the Greek and the English, it, both terms has the idea of knowing yourself. Of knowing yourself. And your conscience paves that way. Um, having an, an internal sense of the reality of my spiritual condition. Um, it's easy today to deceive others on our spiritual condition. But you can't deceive your conscience. So what you will find is people will try to shut it off. Let me throw the switch. Um, in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Paul speaking of uh, this text is dealing with the doctrine of sin. But he's speaking now of what you would call the pagans. Okay, uh, those who do not know Christ, Jehovah, or, or anything about it. And here's what he says in verse 14. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. Okay, you know what he just said there? Every human being has innately in them a moral compass, a, a right and wrong thing. You're telling me that in our society today, they are not chasing that and trying to destroy it? In the name of what? Appeasing consciences. I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel ashamed. 
I grew up with a black and white TV that you had to go over and turn it. <laughs> That's why my generation was so fit. But our thumbs weren't as strong as this generation. But there was a show, it's one of my favorites. Um, I Dream of Jeannie. Barbara Eden. They were not allowed to show her belly button. You go look at the old I Dream of Jeannie. That's when, uh, what's his name? J.R. Ewing was a nice guy. All right? And you go look at it, you won't see her belly button. Have you watched TV today? Mercy. And then people say, well, what do you watch? The Weather Channel. I can't get in trouble there. I might sin because what they say is coming, but I, I know I ain't going to get into trouble any other way. Verse 15 of that text says, And in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending. See, normally when we think about our conscience, what do we think about? I'm in trouble. <laughs> okay, it's sort of like that. You have that, you know, when the, your moms look at you and says, you have that guilty look on your face. Uh, that would be your conscience shaping the back. All right? But when we think about our conscience, we normally think it's a bad thing. My conscience is bugging me. But do you understand that your conscience can also defend you? That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us in the text that we're looking at in 2 Corinthians. Why? Our testimony of our conscience towards you. See, Paul to the Romans is saying that everybody has built in them the sense of right and wrong. There's a sense of morality. There is a sense, a warning system that produces guilt when something is wrong. When it's iniquity, when it's bad, when it's sin. And there's times that the, our conscience will accuse us. There are times when our conscience will defend us. There are times when our conscience will say what you're doing is right. It is good. There are times when our conscience says, pull up, pull up. The conscience is the, at, at the core of what distinguishes human beings from all other creatures. I got a goofy dog. Actually, my wife has a goofy dog. I happen to be his toy. He has me trained well. He jumps on my bed. That means it's time to go outside, Dad. And I would like for you to stand at the door until I return, Dad. Okay, and then I'll go lay in the bed where you were, Dad. Because now you're up. It's a fascinating thing. But you know what? I can look at this poor goofy dog and I can sit there and say, you know, he ain't got no conscience. I can tell. Because nothing bothers him. <laughs> he doesn't feel guilty about nothing. Animals cannot contemplate self-awareness. Animals do not contemplate motives. Animals do not contemplate actions or the 
response to those actions. And yet it is our conscience that allows us. It is our conscience that allows us to make moral self-evaluations. We make moral self I make self-evaluations of myself, and I do it on a moment-by-moment basis. You would call it self-judgment. You weigh yourself. And here's what's annoying about it. You and your conscience know you and your conscience. I can sit there and argue with my conscience and nobody know I'm arguing with my conscience. But your conscience knows. See, it is through that in your soul that you are in touch with right and wrong. It's like when I first came to salvation, I didn't see what was the issue of pride. You know, you're proud to be an American, you're proud to whatever, you know, whatever it was. And then as you start exposing yourself to the word of God, you start realizing pride is a problem. All right. And then once you get exposed to it, your conscience saying, boy, that sounded boastful. Oops. Okay. And then you have this little battle going on and he'll do it through all kinds of things in your lives. That's not right. Well, how do you know it's not right? You just know that it's not right. See, the conscience is a tremendous gift, but we live in a culture today that is systematically with earnest trying to silence the conscience. We, we, have you ever seen, <laughs> it's, it's funny, when, when someone goes before a judge for a, a crime, they say, how do you plead? And everybody says the same thing. What is it? Not guilty. We have more innocent people in jail than any nation in the world. Nobody's guilty. But it's gone beyond that. We have removed shame. Shame ain't an issue. You know what? I watch people now who will have jail records and they wear it as a badge of honor. Hey, man, I've been busted like 11 times. I I remember when that used to be shameful. That you didn't want that to happen. My dad uh, died when I was young. And one of the things that always amazed me about my father is, uh, this guy is a 26-year Marine. Okay? And all that goes along with it. And I'll just leave that to you. All right? But he never got a traffic ticket. Not even so much as a parking ticket. And that always amazed me. I, I never did understand that. Why? Because he felt that that would show that you did not have the ability to operate a vehicle. And that was shameful. And I thought, a parking ticket? I mean, a drive? What? Our society is trying to eliminate that. They will tell you the problem isn't sin. The problem isn't guilt. The problem isn't shame. Your problem today is somebody did something to you that you're not responsible for and you're really not to blame. And, and you know, you keep going down this thing with your conscience and this shame, you're going to have a lack of self-esteem. 
And, and that, then, then you're going to be in really bad trouble because you will carry a burden that you have no need to carry. Let me give you a footnote that you can hang on for a minute. Your conscience is not the voice of God. Please understand that. I've heard people say, well, someone has told me. No, um, the human conscience will hold you to the highest level that you know. All right. One of the things that I see in the tragedy in the broken homes in America today is uh, the spiritual leader of every home is the man. I know, women, you don't want to hear that, but that's what the Bible teaches. Okay. And when you take that spiritual leadership out of it, then the standard for right and wrong has now been changed, compromised. Okay, and, and 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 you know what, women, single mothers, and all the rest of it. God bless you, and you know, I, I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. But the standard is not that. The standard is the man sets the do's and the don'ts. Um, when I grew up, uh, I had a ponytail, and that's ironic if you think about it, because my dad was a drill instructor in the Marine Corps. Okay, in the Marine, you just don't have hair. They just, anyway, they just cut it all off. All right, and yet he said, what's the big deal? And that was the standard by what I went by. All of human nature, please understand about your conscience, all of human nature has been affected by sin. So your conscience has been affected by Sin, all right? Because if you look at it, your conscience will be based on your perspective. Okay? Therefore, the conscience is not the ultimate judge of your behavior. Do you understand that? What I'm trying to get at, the conscience is fallible. God is not fallible. But your conscience is fallible. Okay, sometimes... Your conscience will excuse you when God doesn't. All right? Um, sometimes your conscience will condemn you when God doesn't. All right? Um, so your conscience is not infallible. Your conscience is not the voice of God. Your conscience is not the moral law of God. And, and, but it will hold you to the highest perceived standard that you've been exposed to. Do you understand that? If you want to get the most out of your conscience, you have to inform your conscience at the highest level. Does that make sense? I have seen groups... Uh, different organizations, um, biker clubs, and, and things like this, where people go through a process to become, quote-unquote, members. And it is based on taking in information and different acts and deeds that are carried out to the point where you become, what they, if it's motorcycles, they call them patched. You, you have received a patch, and, and you are a member. Uh, and you'll see sometimes they'll have probation and different patches on their best. But 
Once they arrive, you have been passed. And what happens is the degree of loyalty to the conscience has been trained to that organization. And what's amazing is amazingly loyal people. But they were trained to that. If you want your conscience to be the best that it can, then you must submit yourself to the word of God. As you fill yourself with the word, guess what? The standard starts going up. All right. Whatever moral law, you know, because of your your humanity is only a start as you take in the word of God. You know, I've had people in the past who have come to me and they they will come to me and they've got that. You can tell it. Um, You see it in their eyes. God has called us to become married. And you you can see it in their eyes. Reality has left the building. Okay, but but they have this. They they we believe that God has joined and wants us to become husband and wife. Well, those of you who know me <laughs> know that I like to beat around the bush. And so as soon as they tell me this, I have but one question. What's that? Have you had sex? And inevitably, they'll say, yeah. And I said, then you have no idea what God's doing. Why? Because you don't have to be a theologian to see that God doesn't really get along with that idea. All right. So what you have done is you've taken your conscience and you have manipulated it to the place that it's saying, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. And you have looked at it and said, shut up, gringo. And you flipped it off. And therefore, you are flying blind. See, your knowledge will only grow at a higher standard and your conscience will hold you to that higher standard as your knowledge grows. Okay, so, but if you... I was reading Linsky and he says, to reject the voice of conscience is to court spiritual disaster. And listen, we have a whole society of people who work to do that. When as a Christian, your mind becomes fully enlightened by the word of God, by the word of truth, your conscience will then hold you and it will call you to live to that higher standard. And if not, you'll have guilt, shame, anxiety, And as you grow in your understanding of God, you grow in your understanding of His glory, His majesty, and Christ, and His holy scriptures. The standard just keeps getting elevated, elevated, and elevated. And you know what? And your conscience warns you. When you violate the standard that God has set out in His holy writ, it will condemn And as I said, it will trigger feelings of shame, anguish, regret, anxiety, disgrace. Even to the point where you will fall on your face and weep. 
because of your conscience. And you will plead with God for forgiveness. Anybody in this room ever at some point doubted your salvation? I guarantee you when you were doubting your salvation, your conscience was driving you nuts and you refused to obey it. And therefore, the immediate response is, I must not be saved. Because your conscience is saying, pull up, pull up, pull up. And you, with all the love you can muster, are saying, shut up, gringo. See, a fully functioning conscience is reacting to the knowledge of God's truth. On the other hand, God's truth obeyed. The conscience will commend us. It will comfort us. It will bring us joy. It will affirm us. It will grant us peace. It will grant us gladness. And we will be content in all things. And it's really cool because it is an issue that is taking place in your soul. And I can, you can be going through the worst thing in the world and you'll have this illegal grin on your face that says, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to get through it. Sadly, most of our society responds to their conscience by attempting to silence it. Even in the church. See, guilt and shame is not legitimate, our society teaches, even in the church. How can you feel guilty if you've been forgiven? I've heard that so many times, I just, I'm almost going to be guilty of smacking somebody. You shouldn't feel that way. It's not good for you. You know what? You are a child of God. How can you have such a low view of yourself? And you know what? What's the difference between that understanding in the body of Christ and our society of lost people? There's no difference. You know, you need to put the blame on fill in the blank, people. I put my blame on redwood trees. I wouldn't be this way if it wasn't for redwood trees. Because we will. We'll put it on Uncle Bob, Aunt Mabel, my job, my education, my spouse, my kids, the economy. It's the Democrats. It's the Republicans. I think it's the independents because there's the one throwing everything. And we just go down the line. I just sit and listen to it. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Well, my conscience is bothering me and I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to feel ashamed. So it's your fault. It's either, it can be a medical problem now. Well, you don't understand. You have a medical problem. All right. Well, you're depressed. You know what that is? That's a sign of low self-esteem. If, if, if you weren't depressed, you know, what? You know what? Have you looked around? We should all be depressed. <laughs> Some degree. But our con- I, I don't say that, you know, and I've heard people say, well, it's a chemical imbalance. Balance the chemicals. Listen, I have this chemical issue in my life. And if I don't balance them, yeah, I can be depressed. I can be cranky. (laughs) Oh, wait, never mind. (laughs) That ain't got nothing to do with that. 
See, some of this is beyond our, we want to make it beyond our responsibility. And, and there are industries out there today that succeed in convincing themselves that, that it's got nothing to do with sin and guilt. It's more medical. Maybe it's a psychological problem. See, see, it, it can't be a moral problem. And definitely, who in the world would ever believe it's a spiritual problem? We have things like drunkenness. It's a disease. Anger. I have to go to anger management classes. Any bad behavior, we redefined it. It's a syndrome. It's a, an anxiousness. It's, it's, it's basically, these are all a product of a lack of self-worth. If you had understood how, how important you were, this would all be taken care of. And all I can think of is, shut up, gringo! And you can read that any way you want to read it. We're wanting to silence our conscience. And there are many willing to help us to do it. And, you know, we will abuse our consciences. We will twist our consciences. We will twist our lives to make our conscience comfortable. Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 19, 18 and 19, because this is really good. It says this, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. You know what that means, right? They look like a Christian. They talk like a Christian. But something smells here. He said, but they are enemies of the cross. Why? How do you know that, Paul? Because I always get in trouble for this. Well, you don't know the heart. Well, Paul says, I spotted it. How did I spot it? Verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, and who set their minds on earthly things. You can spot them. Why? The, their glory is in their shame. Have you thought about that? They were boasting and proud of shameful things. They were rejoicing in the things they should have been ashamed of. Why doesn't that sound like the church today? Why do we have pastors who did what? Oh, but he got on Oprah and said it's all fixed. Wait a minute. What happened to shame? And I watched people in droves say, this is great. I'm saying, okay, forgiveness is great. Shame is still shame. Both the mind and the conscience can be so defiled that the mind and the conscience can't define pure and impure. That's what Paul's telling us in the Philippians. He says it also in uh, Titus. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. Titus 1, verse 15, he says, To the pure, 
All things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience is defiled. Got that? Why? We corrupt our conscience. Why? I want to make it fit my lifestyle. We have TV programs that are based on defiled lifestyles. I mean, like Entertainment Tonight and some of these uh, internet stuff where they're going around taking pictures of this and taking pictures of this. You know what? If you haven't heard about Tiger Woods, what, have you been asleep all week? I mean, I can't... Everywhere I turn, it's on here. And everybody's saying, well, did she hit him or did he hit her? Oh, da, da, da. Do you not understand the tragedies here? I, I, mean, I watched a show last night. I, I was up late last night. And, and I watched this thing on, and, and they had all these experts in here explaining they're going to work this out through the renewing of their prenuptials. And I'm sitting there going, well, it'll all be better. <laughs> As long as she doesn't get her hand on a golf club. But <laughs> I don't understand that. We're looking at the fabric of the family torn apart. And well, what do you suppose they were doing? And now I'm watching people come out of the woodwork and says, well, I had an affair with him. I had an affair with him. I got proof of this. I got proof of that. And everybody's got lawyers and they got this. And then you're watching all of these people... A golf, the editor of Golf Magazine, and I've read Golf Magazine. It's a phenomenal read. He's talking about this. And what the heck has this got to do with golf? Why? Because they have taken it and they have defiled the conscience of all who would listen to what is going on. All these people come in. Well, she's good. She needs to get a lot of money out of this. Is that why you took those vows? I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, you know, and I'm, again, it, what will happen if you continually violate the conscience at some point, your conscience will fall silent. You'll get it turned off and you're left flying blind. And inevitably you will crash and burn. Listen, the warning signal will be gone. But the danger is not gone. The danger is not gone. See, again, the conscience is not infallible. It will only operate on the information that you have given it. I heard an illustration, and I thought this was very good illustration. The conscience is like a skylight. Okay? If I keep it clean, and I don't block it up with nothing... then the light comes through unhindered. Okay? But understand this. The conscience is not the light. The conscience doesn't produce the light. The conscience just lets the light in. I thought that was a good illustration of the conscience. It's like a skylight. See... But sometimes we can get our conscience and it can hold me to some law that is in your own mind. That you designed. You know, I remember somebody telling me, you can't be a preacher because you have a beard. I'm not sure how that messes with somebody's conscience, but... (laughs) It's not biblical. This is where a lot of the legalistic systems come in. 
and, and, and are played. You know, I, and I've seen it over and over. A conscience is very sensitive to something and sometimes we train it wrongly. So when you think about your conscience, I want to close with just this thought. Okay? Because uh, we really need to pay attention to this. All right? My conscience and your conscience will respond to what we believe to be the highest moral standard. Okay? Okay? And, 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 and you will believe that. And you will take that information in. All right? Um, <clears throat> what... How do I get that filter working? Easy. Thought you'd never ask. First Peter chapter two. Verse one. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Get yourself into a Bible standard. Let your conscience work on God's word standard. Con confine your Christianity and your beliefs to what is truly biblical. All right? Nothing less and nothing more. All right? When I read this text, I think about it. newborn babes. You ever seen newborn babes? You talk about <laughs> focused in on what they want. <laughs> and, and they will make it known to you that this is a desire. And every two hours, they're calling for your repentance. Repent and take care of it. And what Peter is saying is, let us grow. How? Like newborn babes craving the word of God. Why? When does a baby, is, is a baby ever satisfied with its milk? Never. Falls asleep. I was watching <laughs> our newest one. He was asleep eating this morning. And I'm sitting there going, man, I wish I could knew how to do that. He said, there my eyes shouldn't just suck on a bottle. <laughs> What's that? I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm feeding my conscience. <laughs> you know. But it, it's one of the things that I really would ask that you do is to confine your belief, your Christianity, to truly biblical. What does the Bible say? I meet with a group and we pray on Thursdays and they have, sometimes they tend to get off track. And my response to them when they're kind of off of track is, and where is that in the Bible? Uh, especially when they want to tell me, you know, what's his name? Bono. Bono has a challenge for the church. So, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> well, the church needs to listen to him. Really? <laughs> Why? 
I ain't listening to him. Why? Right now I don't have time. And I definitely am not interested in his challenges that what the church ought to do. Gee, many crickets. All right. And my response, well, how would you challenge the church? First three chapters of first Thessalonians. That's how I'd challenge it. And if you make those first three, then check out four and five, because he'll tell you how to excel even more. Once we get those down, maybe I'll go listen to Bono. I, do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? Where is that in the Bible? Why are we doing this? And what is it doing in the impact that it is on my conscience? Why? You know what? I love you guys. Some of you guys have got some dirty uh, skylights. The light ain't coming through quite as well as it should. Okay. And you know it because <laughs> your conscience is saying, pull up, pull up. And I would really pray that you don't say, shut up, gringo. All right. And part of the reason is I don't have a steady diet of the word of God. It's really that simple. You know, people I read every day. Okay, Second Corinthians, I read it, and I'll close with this. I read Second Corinthians every day. Okay, why? And I have been for a couple of years because I knew that's what I was going to teach. All right, and I got to be honest with you. There's sometimes I'm just as mechanical as anybody else. You, you'd have thought I was like a Pharisee or something, but I just read it through, read it through, read it through, read it through. Okay, and I read. Uh, I'm teaching First uh, Timothy on uh, Wednesday nights, and I read it through, read it through, read it through, read it through. I've kind of moved into Hebrews, and I've gone back through and read Hebrews a couple of times now. Uh, all the way through, cover to cover, from beginning to end. Okay? Why? What's the alternative? Everything you take in is going to have some kind of effect on your conscience. You can sit and watch the news. You ever watch the news and got mad? I, you just sit there and go, what? That's why I watch the Weather Channel. <laughs> Um, but I, I do that because, listen, take in the word and you will come. You know, we had to write a book. We got a book out there right now. It's called Thinking Biblically. And, you know, it's a phenomenal book. But my problem is we need that. And then I look around and say, yeah, we do. That's what everybody's getting for Christmas. No, <laughs> I get them cheaper by the case. Um, just kidding. I want you to think about this because, and, and next week I'll be more specific on conscience to a believer because you can sear your conscience. You, you can literally, it literally means to brand it so it becomes insensitive. It, 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 it's like calluses on your hands. All of a sudden you realize that your fingertips or your palms are not as sensitive anymore to pain. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us consciences. And I thank you, Father, that many of us, you have poured your light in. And yet, Father, it is a battle. Father, I, I, I understand that. And, and I fight. And, and, and you give me victory at times. And there's other times that I uh, am shameful. Uh, Father, that I am uh, heartbroken. Father, I just ask that as we bow before your word, we hear your word, 
we see your word in the saints that you have blessed our lives with, that, Father, we can rest in the assurance that you will complete in each of us that that you've called us to. Father, help us. Help us to drink deep of your word. Help us to cherish the time that you give us with your word. Father, those who would teach us, I ask that you protect them. And Father, that you would encourage them in a a mighty, bountiful harvest of people who have trained consciences based on the word of the Most High God. Thank you, Lord, for drawing us this day. Thank you, Lord, for protecting us as we drove in this day. And Father, as we draw uh, to close and we draw to your table uh, in remembrance of you, Father, may we be overwhelmed. May our conscience commend us. May our conscience encourage us. And Father, may we be a, a people who live in contentment with the amazing things that God the Creator has pressed upon our souls in our redemption, our sanctification, and Father, the glory that we will spend eternity in your presence to you and you alone. Amen. Amen.